a delight to be with you. And uh, as I listened to Monty, I thought, man, I'm looking so forward forward to drive-in Christmas. How about that? A time where we can all be together and uh, in the middle of unprecedented time. So wouldn't that be fun? No doubt. We're going light, to light. They'll be hearing us sing at those apartments. I hope. <laughs> Not by the way y'all responded there. <laughs> That's for sure. Okay. Christmas joy. I'm glad we're going to address that this morning. So, but it'll be real, not fake. Turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 9. As we continue our Advent series, our four-part Advent series, uh, A Coming Light, which was last week, this week A Coming Child, then A Coming Kingdom, and A Coming Peace, all from the classic Christmas text, or text that we use at Christmas, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Now, you have notes. Uh, those of you at home have notes. And I want to encourage you to take those notes and even maybe use this as part of your Advent uh, discussions around your table. It's hard for me to do without notes. So as we think about Advent, we want to define that. Oxford English Dictionary defines it as the arrival of a notable person or thing. So as Christians, what we do every year during this four week uh, of the month before Christmas, we celebrate the first coming at Christ, and we get our hearts right for the year to expectantly and yet patiently wait for his second return. If we did a little digger deeper into that word advent, we would see it comes from this root word adventus, where we get our word adventure. So I want to, in some ways, pull us back a minute and change our perspective on all of life that the Christian life is to be one of what? Adventure. And we know in all great adventures, whether it's in our lives or movies or great stories, what happens during adventures? There's a mix of tensions. Man, there's hard times and tragic times. There's the incredibly unexpected there's ups and downs and triumphs and failures and victories, right? If you look at all our lives and all the great stories, that's what adventures are. Now, does that sound like our own lives? Absolutely. We are in, and this is what Advent reminds us of, we are in this grand story as Christ followers. We call it the greatest adventure Ever. And our problem sometimes is we get down into the weeds of what's happening to us right here in our own little world, and we need to pull back and see this bigger, grander story experiencing all the things that adventures bring while expectantly and patiently waiting for the return of our king to make things as they should be. So, now before Isaiah gave this, this prophecy to the first coming of Christ, Monty last week, what he did for us in his sermon, A Coming Light, he laid out for us the reality of what was happening to the people of Israel in that time. Here's what we learned. If you didn't hear that sermon, you got to go back, man. It lays the whole context. We learned the early church 
adopted December 25th as the date to celebrate the birth of Christ because it was the shortest day of the year, therefore the darkest day of the year. That date had previously been celebrated by heathens, by pagans, and their, their god called Sol Invictus, which meant the unconquerable sun god, S-U-N. That's what they celebrated. And here's what Christians did. They flipped it. And they said, no, 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 no. There is a God. He is unconquerable. But he is the light. So we're going to call him the unconquerable sun God, S-O-N. And so on this day, the darkest day of the year, the light has come to make it no longer dark. But the darkness was not only about physical light, as Monty laid out. There was this spiritual and moral darkness at the time Isaiah wrote these words with the people of Israel. Isaiah 8.22 gives us the lay of the land of the time. They will look toward the earth, this is a prophecy, and see only distress, darkness, and gloom of affliction. And they will be driven into thick darkness. Folks, that came true. Monty laid out why. I don't have time to go into it this morning. These prophetic, prophetic words came true for Israel because of their disobedience. So in the midst of this darkness, in 700 years before the arrival of Jesus, Isaiah tells us of this coming light. Isaiah tells us who is this light. Isaiah tells us this is the light of the world. He says this in 9 verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has shone light. These prophetic words were spoken, think about the audience, to the godly remnant primarily of Israel. And as we have seen, the darkness of their world was and is much like the darkness of our world. Folks, nothing has changed. In spite of all the advances of civilization, in spite of all the modern conveniences, in spite of all the education, the world is still consumed with distress and darkness and gloom. It doesn't take a lot of research to find that out. Just click on any newspaper link you want to in the nation and read the headlines every morning. In the strange history of mankind... It has been man's unwillingness to bow down to God. And Monty told us why. Because men naturally, men and women, naturally love the darkness more than they love the light. I remember the first time I actually heard that verse. We were sharing the gospel with uh, the guy who led me to Christ. We were in Daytona Beach sharing the gospel with a bunch of bikers. And they mocked Christ, and they made fun of him. And little five-foot-six pudgy man Joe looked at this big biker with tattoos and muscles popping everywhere. Of course, he knew, he knew I had his back, so he could say a lot of things. <laughs> and, uh, and Joe looked at him and said, you know why you mock Christ? And the guy said, why? He said, because you love darkness more than the light. And I was like, oh, Joe, don't think going to kill us, right? I thought, does, that, does the Bible really say that, Joe? I remember asking him. But that's the truth. With this context in mind, we ask this question this morning. 
question. It's in your notes. Who is it that can transform this distress, darkness, and gloom that Isaiah writes about, that you and I experience can transform it to joy? Who is this light that shines in the darkness? The answer is a coming child, the Messiah. So let's reread Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle torment and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall rest, shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. For our focus this morning, we'll focus in on verse, verse 6. So what do we have here? We have a question, we have an answer, but really what we have, as it says in your notes, is a birth announcement. For to us, a child is born. Now, five years ago, on May the 4th, May the 4th be with you, I can remember that, I woke up early at 4.30 to go turkey hunting. As I checked my phone, I had a text from my son, Josh, that said, congratulations, you're a grandfather. Your granddaughter, Claire, was born this morning early. Folks, I don't know of a greater way to create joy, instant joy, than to get that kind of text of a birth announcement from your son. That's what birth announcements do. Joy is the exact emotion that Isaiah and God would expect from one who would read or hear these words, for to us a child is born. Now some things that set this birth announcement of Christ apart from my modern day birth announcements are that Christ's birth announcement was really early, folks. Typically, birth announcements go out soon after the birth of the child, correct? Depending upon how much sleep deprivation the mother has had or the parents have had, right? Depending on how much chaos is going around. But every birth announcement that I've known or you've known has come out after the birth, right? Not before. Because you want to make sure the baby's born. This one is different. This one is sent before. As I said, this one is 700 years before. Monty, in his entire sermon last week, and me in my introduction this week, stated, and this is crucial for us, that Isaiah sent the news of this birth announcement to address the dark situation 
that the godly remnant of Israel was facing by promising them a future king in order to sustain them through the darkness. Not necessarily to remove the darkness from them, but to sustain them through it. So Isaiah tells us the one who is on the way is the one who will sustain us and eventually transform this distress, darkness, and gloom into joy. This phrase, a child born, speaks of the humanity of Christ. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Christ had to be human in order to die for the sins of humans. But Isaiah says something else. Not only does he say a child was born, but he says, to us a son is given. This is what I would call a pre-existent gift. <laughs> How many of those have you gotten, right? So here's what happens. No one argues that there was a special birth of this Christ child in Bethlehem. Even Jewish historians acknowledge that. But the Messiah, and Isaiah tells us, will also be a son that is given, which tells us Jesus didn't come into existence on that night in Bethlehem when he was born in a manger. Follow me here. The word son used here and in other places in the Old Testament, like in 2 Samuel 7, 14, which is the Davidic covenant, the, the word son means a title for a king. In Daniel's vision, where the expression, there's an expression used, a, the son of man in Daniel 7. Daniel speaks of this son of man in the context of being a glorious king in the presence of Almighty God and in the presence, who is, presence of one who is called the Ancient of Days. So then Isaiah comes along and announces that the child to be born will be a son given to us. And then Paul sort of clears it all up about this pre-existent gift of God's son in Galatians 4.4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. And then Jesus comes along and makes the same argument by avalanche. He leaves without a doubt to prove that his origin is from heaven, not from Bethlehem. John 11, I love this text. You'll remember Lazarus has been dead for four days. <laughs> I love the reality. Martha says, Jesus, don't move the stone. He's going to stink bad. Like, his corpse is rotten here. This is a mess. Jesus has the stone moved, and Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven to pray to his Father these words. Father, I know you always hear me. <laughs> but I say this on the account of the people who are standing here, that they, I know, but that they may believe that it is you who sent me. 
And then I love it. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. That's another scene for another time. What a powerful picture. So Jesus, Isaiah is saying here, is God given to us by God. This speaks of his deity. He is divine in human form, and he had to be God to defeat death and sin. Jesus was what Isaiah told us a couple chapters earlier in Isaiah 7.14. What did he say? He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He was preexistent. Jesus is no ordinary child whose life started at the day he was birthed. He's virgin born. He is hope in a dark world. He is the promise of the ages. He is the savior of the world. The savior of the world has arrived. That's what Isaiah is telling us. Now, let's bring that down to everyday human form. Can we do that? How many of you, I'm sure, remember 9-11? You remember where you were, right? I read this story this week that I think takes us to application here. The 911 Twin Tower survivor, his name was Pasquale Bazzelli, 34 years old. He officed on the 64th floor of the North Tower. At 10 a.m., his wife had been watching TV. He phoned his wife and said, I'm good. I've been told that the stairs and the hallways have been cleared and we're about to walk down 64 floors. She had obviously been watching on TV and was horrified. He said he was about to head down those stairs and he reached the 22nd floor as they descended slowly but surely. At that moment, he describes it that the building shook, the stairs rolled like waves in the ocean, He dove into a corner. He felt the walls next to him crack and buckle on top of him. And all of a sudden, he was in a free fall as the walls separated and moved out from under him. Over two hours later, he came to, he woke up on a slab of concrete, 180 feet below the 22nd floor. Trapped under concrete and stone rubble. In the midst of smoke, he listened to explosions all around him and he thought, I've got to be dead. But then the pain in his leg let him know that, no, indeed, he was alive. It's a great note for us. If, if when we feel pain, you can just tell yourself, at least I'm alive. <laughs> That's what he thought here. Then out of the blue, he heard a fireman say, holy moly, he's alive. Now, he didn't say holy moly, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know me being appropriate as I am and being in church and, and not knowing other words to even imagine. Six firemen dug him out, led him across the field full of dead bodies and debris. And he heard a fireman say, bro, you're heavy. Yeah, he said, I was 270 pounds. (laughs) Months later, he was interviewed. They said, what'd you feel when you were laying there, thought you were going to die, and then you saw the fireman? He got one word out of his mouth, the story says, joy. Joy. 
and he started sobbing so uncontrollably that they had to cancel that initial interview the first time he told his story. We get that, right? We feel that right now. He was going to die and he was miraculously saved. His circumstances changed so fast and so dramatically from what he thought was going to happen and what he expected to what he actually experienced. And that brought a response of what? Joy. When you're going to die and a Savior shows up, in this case, the fireman, there's one response, joy. Overwhelming joy is what you feel. You can't control what you feel. You can't just snap your fingers and decide to feel something. In this case, joy, it just comes. And that's why we need to understand that biblical joy is a God-given emotion in response to something that has happened to you or for you. Now, we can say sometimes in spiritual circles that joy, biblical joy, isn't circumstantial. No, 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 no. It is. It's absolutely circumstantial. <laughs> biblical joy is circumstantial because there's a son that's been born he has been given to you. He will grow up as the God-man and shed his blood to pay the penalty for your sins and save you from death. That's a circumstance where joy, the root of joy comes from. Spiritually speaking, when Isaiah says in verse 2, the people who are walking in darkness have now seen a great light and that light has shone on them. <laughs> The firemen have showed up. <laughs> he says, what's the response to that? Boom. Verse 3, they increase joy and you have made the people rejoice before you or toward God. Folks, for us, we were dead people walking dead in our sins. And Isaiah tells us a child has been born. A child has been given to us. God gave us God a savior from our spiritual death. And I, I just want to say this morning, can I hear you say that Jesus is better than a fireman? Can somebody give me an amen on that? Amen. So you love that fireman. You love that story. I had you all right there. I could have said, can y'all donate to the turkey fund? Y'all did that, right? <laughs> but Jesus is better than the fireman. Pascal's going to die again. Joy and rejoicing in the one who saved us is our God-given response. He wired us that way. Matter of fact, it is a fruit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit because it is the Spirit that causes me and you to be able to see the glory and beauty of this child that was born and given. In Philippians 3, Paul says, to rejoice in the Lord. Okay. Well, we can't do that if we don't know anything about the Lord. We must have it. I'll call it here for the sake of a sermon. Mental content about who the Lord is. And then the Holy Spirit takes that and uses that truth 
about God and his work on our behalf to produce what Christian joy. Isaiah this morning has given us that mental content. <laughs> there is a child born and he has been given to us. John Piper, when I thought about this subject of joy, has, has helped me greatly when it comes to experiencing Christian joy. Because I get the struggle with joy. Anybody, anybody get to struggle with joy? Yeah. We get, we get pressed down in this dark world about our immediate circumstances and we can't pull back and see other circumstances that would make us respond with joy. Here's what he says. We must fight for joy relentlessly. We are in a fight for joy if we're in a fight for anything. And part of what I do, part of what helps me do that is to preach to myself, not listen to myself. When I listen to myself and my struggles and my failures and my slow sanctification, man, I get down on myself. My wife gets down on herself. What I do is preach to myself. And the second thing is we have to fight from a justified sinner, sinner position. What I mean by that, we fight from this place of already being loved, already being accepted, already being in Christ, already being given eternal life. Like, that's, we're in this justified place, not trying to earn it, not trying to perform it. And in doing so, what happens, I find, is the gospel doesn't get boring to me. It stays alive. Thirdly, we fill our heart and mind with the mental content of God's word. And then so crucial, we spend time with others who are also fighting for joy. <laughs> and then fifthly, Piper says, resolve to attack and tell the truth about all known sin. He goes on to write this. He says, the wonderful moments of joy in this world are not the moments of self-satisfaction, but self-forgetfulness. Standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and contemplating your own greatness is pathological, he writes. At such moments, we are made for a magnificent joy that comes from outside ourselves. The child Isaiah speaks of is that joy that comes from outside of ourselves. That's why C.S. Lewis said joy is the serious business of heaven. So we come to a second question in this text. Who is the child? Who is this Messiah? Can I ask y'all something? Are y'all hot? Anybody hot? Most people are hot. Could you check that a little bit? Turn it down. I'm feeling hot up here, and I'm seeing people look hot. So, In light of that, I'm going to bring some fire here. <laughs> and we are lighting the candles. Last week was love. Mm. Maybe we need to, it is, it's invisible. So love and joy to remind us here. So who is this child Messiah? Answer, Isaiah gives us four names. 
He continues to give us this biblical mental content, content so we can have biblical joy. Wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. So what he does, as Isaiah now portrays to us, the nature or character of this child that was born or given. Isaiah gives us his names, but he also tells us what this child will do. Now, I want you to imagine back that morning, May 4th, five years ago, when I got a text from Josh. Imagine if the follow-up text after the birth announcement had said something like, excellent, excellent ballet dancer, brilliantly smart like her grandfather, and world's best woman turkey hunter. Wonder if, wonder if they'd have said that. See, it didn't because birth announcements don't list accomplishments because there are none to list. Unless you want to do, I don't know, maybe thumb sucking, right? Going to the bathroom and drooling. You know, that's about all a baby can do. But this baby, Isaiah keeps telling us, is radically different. Isaiah is not only affirming that this child will have great titles, but will also actually be what those titles claim and describe. That's in contrast that the whole far Middle East, or, uh, the Middle East at that time would know when kings are given these grandiose titles, nothing was true about it. <laughs> As I said, this baby's different. Four names, wonderful counselor. It literally means a wonder of a counselor. Wonderful in scripture primarily is used to describe the Lord or the supernatural and is not used in a trivial sense as we contend to use it. When I eat a piece of cake, what do you think I say? Oh, that's wonderful cake. That's the best cake I ever put in my mouth. And I'll eat somebody else's cake and I'll say the same thing. If you're a lady who loves to cook, I will make you feel well about your cooking. <laughs> Isaiah is saying, though, here about this child when described as wonderful is to ascribe to him extraordinary and supernatural abilities that only God can be and do. Add to that the word counselor, which means the one who plans, who, who has wisdom to rule. Now, others recognize this wonder of a counselor, as one writer put it. John 4, woman at the well. She said, after talking to Jesus, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. John 7, 26, the Jews sent men to arrest Jesus, and they came back empty-handed after listening to him, and they said, no man ever spoke like this man. John 2, 25, he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. That ought to bring us great comfort in the sense that no one knows you better than this child who has come. No one knows what you need more than this child who has come. And no one knows what is best for you than this child who has come. He is the one writing your story in the grand story. This is amazing news for those of us who find ourselves Needing guidance and wise counsel. Wonderful counselor. Second name, Isaiah gives him his mighty God. It's one thing to be able to lead or one thing to be able to, 
to lead you as a wise counselor and to tell you what to do as a counselor, but it's a whole nother thing to give you the power to actually do what he's told you to do. Now, I can just say I've been on both sides of this. I've received wise counsel and didn't do it, <laughs> right? And that counselor had no power to make me do it. And I've, I've sat down with married couples and given wise counsel, younger couples, and the str- walk away and they did none of it, right? This child is different. This name is too powerful for any mortal in John 8, 58, Jesus identifies himself as the great I am of the Old Testament. Matthew 24 says, all power is given to me. Jesus says, John 1, John declares this child that he has come is the creator of the universe. And then Paul in Ephesians 1 says, this child is the one that raised from the dead and is seated at the heavens above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come and all things are under his feet so that he can rule over it. Drop the mic. The mighty God. This child that has come will be divinely strong and powerful toward you and for you. He already has been, if you know him, in more ways than you can imagine. He is a powerful, mighty God at work in you to make you like his son. And this is amazing news for those who are weak. Thirdly, the everlasting father. Now, just for clarity, Isaiah has not gotten the three persons of the Trinity confused here, (laughs) calling the Son the Father. But we do know that the New Testament teaches clearly that Jesus is the expressed or visible image of God the Father. And that's what Isaiah is portraying here. The Hebrew term literally means the Father of eternity. Jesus is a child in human time and a father in eternity. He is a child of time and the father of timelessness. Christ is no ordinary baby, Isaiah is saying. He holds eternity in his hands. And this is amazing security for those of us who are insecure. He's got you. Lastly, Prince of Peace. This child is the one that brought peace with God for those who trust him. And I'm going to dive into that in a couple weeks when we look at a coming peace. And eventually we'll bring total peace through his reign over all the earth as he ushers in a new kingdom. Four great names. So I'll wrap up with a quote by G.K. Chesterton that summarizes this. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get in the what? Water. If you want joy, wisdom, power, and peace, you must get close to or possess the thing that has it. These qualities are not a sort of prize which God could, if he chose, just to hand out to anyone. If you know Christ, you have access to this child who has come and has been given to you. 
as we did last week, our so what is going to be prayer for our body. We got over 55 prayer requests last week. It was exciting. It was overwhelming. It was, uh, it was uh, man, we live in a dark world. And those prayer requests sort of put a light on that. And this morning, we want to focus in very specifically on discouragement, or we'll put it another way, joy stealers. We are in this fight for joy, in this dark world, and there are things that steal our joy. Are there not? One writer said, it is not our natural bent, joy is not. <laughs> we have an enemy that loves to steal our joy. Maybe a joy stealer's comparison or perfectionism or just chaos or people that hurt us or struggle with sin over and over or lack of spiritual growth and change. I mean, it could be anything. Swindoll, I love how he just summarizes it. Three big joy stealers, worry, stress, and fear. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. So what we want you to do, I want to invite Monty up. I want to invite Brian Hogue, one of our elders up, Brian. And uh, we want you to, just as you did last week, whether you're here or at home, we want you to text a brief prayer. It's anonymous, okay? No one will know who it is. A brief prayer around joy or, dis or the opposite of that discouragement, uh, and, and how we can pray for you specifically. What are the joy stealers in your life? Uh, where are they coming from? And text to that number. And then join us as we pray to pray for our body. Okay? Can we do that? The number there is on the screen, Jesus, we come to you this morning and uh, we pray for a young lady, the daughter of someone in our body who is overwhelmed with fear, described as irrational fear. Lord, <laughs> there's so much to be afraid of in this world. We get that. And there's this side of fear that's very helpful that makes us be aware and careful. There's this side of fear that just, just takes us down. Lord, I pray you would help this young lady see the difference between the two. I pray, Lord, that she would, uh, in some ways, get a clear picture of you 
that you are the father of eternity, that you've got her. There's security in you. And Lord, you would even use this struggle with fear to not only make her cling to you tighter, but to help others in the years to come in this very real um, struggle of toxic fear. Father, I pray for a husband and a wife who, as their children grow, uh, I know this as a parent, um, so easy to become consumed with children and uh, the marriage get leftovers. And so this husband and wife, they want to have joy in their relationship as they age and as their kids age and Lord, as those empty nest years approach, Lord, I pray that they would find joy in the precious gift of marriage that you have given them. And I pray that they would be reminded of the gospel that their marriage represents, the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. I pray that that would fuel great joy in them as they uh, move toward each other and invest in their relationship. Father God, Lord, I pray for another marriage, Father, that is seeking unity. Lord, unity as they desire to be better parents, Father, to be um, encouragers to those in their community. Father, we know that that is impossible on our own, Lord. We, we cannot experience the unity that our hearts desire and that our marriage needs apart from you, Lord. And so we lift them up, Father, and we ask for you to do for them what we can't do ourselves, Lord. We ask that you would smile upon their marriage, Father. We ask that those that are closest to them, Lord, would step step into the moment and encourage them, Lord, that they would love on them, care for them, and guide them, Father. We pray for their children, Lord, and we pray for hope in the midst of what may be a very dark time, Lord. We pray that they would continue to set their eyes on you. Lord, I pray for this person struggling with shame that steals their joy, rest, peace, intimacy with God and other shame is such a tool of the evil one. He says things like, you're terrible. It makes it very personal. He's, he's, he speaks to us. He whispers to us, look at you. How can you call yourself a Christian? And we wallow in that. Lord, I pray that this person would be renewed and refreshed from your word and others fighting for joy around them that they would renew their identity in Christ, that you are faithful in light of our unfaithfulness, that we stand with the covering of the blood of Christ that's more precious than silver or gold. And because of that, we are deeply known, deeply loved. Christ knew us, knew us before he brought us to himself. <laughs> and it wasn't anything we brought to the table. So I pray that you would teach them to fight shame with the truth of their identity in Christ and to, as we even said this morning, Lord, to preach to themselves that great gospel message and not listen to themselves. Help them, Lord, with shame. <laughs>
Lord, I thank you for this request for uh, someone who their joy is stolen by the pace of life, the demands of a needy world around them, even the brokenness of the people that uh, they do life with, or those can be so discouraging. Lord, I pray that you would make your presence very uh, obvious to them. I pray that they would begin each day remembering that you walk with them, you go ahead of them, you're on their side and behind, and you make a way, you make a crooked path straight. I pray that you would encourage their heart with um, the great commitment you have to making all things right and new. Maybe not in this moment, but Lord, one day, pray that that would be a great source of joy to this individual. And they could rest in that, that they could find that truth as a great refuge for their soul in the midst of discouragement. Lord, we have uh, a number of folks whose joy is being stolen through health struggles, Lord. We know, Father, that in you we have a high priest that can sympathize with all of our weaknesses, Lord. You experienced all that that we could ever go through and more, Lord. And Father, I pray that, that we would rest in that. And because of that, that we would be able to trust you, Father. Lord, you're in the Psalms you tell us that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning and Lord I know that's those are hard words when the night is so long Father but I pray that you would give us hope patience strength to endure Lord help us to cast our burdens on you Lord and I pray for healing Lord I pray that um, Father as as we walk through the valley of health struggles Lord I pray that um, that you would bring that you would bring healing through medicine, Lord, or just through the sheer power of your will, Lord. Lord Jesus, we come to you on behalf of this person who has a crazy, uh, chaotic schedule, um, a lot of brokenness in relationships around them, a lot of addiction in relationships around them. Lord, I those things are stealing their joy. I, I pray, Lord, that somehow, some way, you would give them a chance to be still and know that you are God, to meet with you consistently, uh, to hear from you consistently. Lord, sometimes it's been said the most godly thing in the world we can do is to take a nap, that, Lord, you, you wired us for, uh, for sleep and to eat well and to get some kind of exercise to take care of ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray they would start there with some self-care, help them to implement that. But then, Lord, give them a real heart out of their own rested state. Give them a real heart to, to know when to minister and when to set a boundary with all the chaos around them with the people. Give them wisdom, as we talked about this morning, uh, as the wonderful counselor 
And Lord, they would experience great joy uh, in the midst of that. Lord, we pray you would help them. Lord, for those who uh, maybe uh, sit here this morning and are mindful of failure and struggle and sin, Lord, that can be such a joy stealer. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would remind them if they have entrusted their life to you that every day, every morning is full of mercy and compassion. There is grace upon grace. And you are committed to helping them walk in newness of life. Not in their own power, not in their own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that uh, they would rehearse, as Jeff mentioned, the goodness of the gospel. Live in the truth of justification. That regardless of performance, they are right with you. And that's the starting place. I pray that would be a great, great source of joy. And when they are bombarded by temptation, Lord, I pray that they would cling to the joy that they have been given by the Christ child. Lord, thank you for, uh, I'm so encouraged, just remind myself that, Lord, you hear our prayers. There's no barrier, mm. no blockage between you and us because of the shed blood of Christ. Lord, you hear our prayers. You're faithful to answer them according to your will, mm -hmm. what's best for your glory and our own good. So we submit again to your will for our lives, that you are the, the great story maker. And we're in the midst of your grand story. Help us to see it as an adventure an adventure that en encompasses all the things that adventures do. But we know the end. Help us to, to wait patiently but expectantly for your return. Whether we, it is us who returns to you or you who returns to us first, Lord, may we be ready and may that encourage us, motivate us, and as we talked about this morning, <laughs> give us great joy in light of your, your rescue of us. You are better than any fireman. We love you. Grateful for this time this morning to come before your throne. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.